With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's 207 on News Radio 1040 WHO. Good afternoon. I'm Brian Gongle. We are live at the iHeartRadio studios at the Iowa State Fairgrounds. In case you're looking to find us, in case you'd like to stop by and get yourself a free fan, in case you'd like to stop on by and get yourself a bag so you can carry all of the swag home from the Iowa State Fair, stop out and visit us. We are at the west end of the Grand Concourse. It's Grand Avenue. We're just at the west end on the fairgrounds. We're over uh, kind of across from the DNR building. We're adjacent to sort of the, we're at the end with the Varied Industries building and the Grandstand. We are over on the west end, just as you come in the western entrance. It's over here out on 30th and Grand. Great place to uh, start off your fair experience and end it, especially if you happen to be parked out this direction. Still uh, street parking to be found out this side of the fairgrounds and uh, plenty of other places you can stuff your vehicle and then go stuff your face, as I see legions of people doing this fine afternoon. It's just a, it's a great day out here. It's a little on the warmer side than it was last Last week, but 81 degrees. That's uh, that's pl- quite pleasant. And we've got a light breeze coming out of the east southeast. It's coming in at about six miles an hour, so it's just barely enough to rustle a few of the leaves in the trees. Keep just a little breeze going past you. You can probably do even better if you get our fan on a stick. So stop on by here at the iHeartRadio studios at the Iowa State Fairgrounds. WHO Radio has you covered, and we'll keep you cool out there. Not sure what we're going to do about broadcasting that Eclipse Live coming up on Monday, but I guess, you know, we'll do what we can to keep you covered in every possible direction. Can't make the uh, sun come back out, but we'll uh, cover it for you, I guess, while it's going away, while it's being covered up by the vast old moon. Plenty of things to talk about this week, as we always do. As you know, my uh, favorite things to talk about are making money and having fun, keeping uh, on, on track with keeping up and cleaning up after ourselves and minding our business. Those are really the four things that I think drive the American way, drive us as Americans, and drive us as Iowans and keep everything on the right track. This week has certainly been one for the ages, though. Has it not? I mean, has this not ever been one of the most dramatic weeks if you're paying attention to the news? And I wouldn't blame people who decided to just sort of run for the bunkers and not pay attention anymore because there does sort of reach a point where it starts to get almost overwhelming. But it's not anything we can walk away from, not anything we can turn our backs on. This has been an important week. And, you know, as we're all enjoying things like the state fairs, we're enjoying the lovely weather, as summer is coming to a close and kids are starting to go back to school, it's the time when our attention turns on things. And it's worth at least taking a step back, I think, just for at least this week after what has gone on, and and ask ourselves a little bit about history, and ask ourselves a little bit about how we're living it out in the present day. You know, the news comes out this morning that Duke University has removed a Robert E. Lee statue from the entrance to the Duke University Chapel. Apparently it was vandalized on Wednesday night, and now they are removing it. And I don't know that, you know, when the president issues, the, the university president issues his statement on this, saying that the act of vandalism, and I quote here, made clear that the turmoil and turbulence of recent months do not stop at Duke's gates. We have a responsibility to come together as a community to determine how we can respond to this unrest in a way that demonstrates our firm commitment to justice. That's the end of his statement. That's the end of his quote. And again, it's shared by uh, one of the local television stations there, WRAL, has this story. And the thing that I think is striking about not just this particular removal, 
removal, though the Duke University removal is certainly one that will get people's attention, is this. I think there are too many people who have reached the point where they feel like there is a finite amount of respect in the world. And at some point or another, people feel, at least some, feel that they have to win it at all costs. They have to fight for a limited amount of respect that's out there in the world. And if they got to take it from somebody else, that's just the way it's going to be. But that because it's limited in its volume, because there's only so much of it to go around, they have to go fight for it. They have to go take it from somebody, potentially. The problem with this line of thinking is that respect is just like any of the other really good virtues we like to live through. Things like love and joy and happiness. You don't take respect away from other people. You produce it. Hopefully you start by respect for yourself. And then you produce so much of it that there's a surplus and you're able to share that surplus with other people. You know, somebody who loves and believes in economics and believes in producing good things, well, it turns out respect is one of those values, is one of those productive, useful things. But we have to produce it in order to consume it. We can't just take respect from somebody else. It's not about just beating someone else so that you're the one who gets the respect. You actually produce more of it by generating it yourself and giving it. And once you're able to give it, then you're able to get some of it in return. The problem is there's something about 2017, and I don't know if it's really unique to what's just happened now. or I think it's probably due to an accumulation of factors, but I think there are a lot of Americans who feel disrespected and disrespected in all kinds of different ways. Some people feel disrespected economically, some people feel disrespected socially, some people feel disrespected politically. And the problem is the prescription to that is not more disrespect. So vandalizing a statue, as apparently happened at Duke and has certainly happened in other places around the country, well, that's a mark of disrespect. We're not creating more respect by doing that. But by the same token, we have to recognize that there are people who legitimately feel disrespected by the very presence of statues like those. The commemoration of these values, or these negative values in a lot of ways, that makes people feel disrespected. We're not going to see eye to eye as Americans. We're not going to generate a sense of respect. We're not going to overcome this feeling by generating more disrespect for one another. I hate to see people feeling disrespected. I really do hate to see that. Even more, I hate to see people supercharging that disrespect, creating a, a sort of feedback loop where one side disrespects another and then somebody else feels more disrespected, they up the ante, and then before we all know it, everybody's disrespecting everybody else. Everybody's taking everyone else's life for granted. Everyone is assuming that they know best for themselves and they know best for everybody else what to do at all times, so we're going to impose that on everyone else. That's a feedback loop of disrespect. And I don't want to see America enter that feedback loop of disrespect. And this week hasn't really been productive in trying to counter that. This week has been supercharging a lot of the disrespect, and I hate to see that going on. The problem is, though, we got a shortage of people who are saying things, leaders in all kinds of areas of life, our religious leaders, our political leaders, our economic leaders, our civic and even our cultural leaders have been short on insisting on showing respect. Now, there are isolated incidents. There are certainly examples you can hold up where people have insisted on showing respect, where people took a hit for the fact that they insisted that their opponents or their rivals, their competitors be treated with respect, and they got beaten down for it. I mean, a terrific example of this is, is when you look at how John McCain addressed President Obama when they were rivals for the presidential nomination. For, the, for winning the presidency. 
And instead of looking at it just as a war to be won, just as a battle to be fought, and you know what, to heck with the consequences, John McCain, uh, on a couple of lofty instances, said, no, you know what, I, I don't agree with him, but I'm going to respect him. I'm going to respect the person on the other side of the aisle. And he took a hit for that. He continues to be criticized by some people today for that. We're not going to get anywhere, though, if we don't start building up a respect surplus. And I know maybe that sounds a little hokey. I don't realize that that may sound almost a little naive, almost a, a bit too eager, a bit too earnest. Well, you know what? If that's what it takes, that's what we got to start doing for just a little while. To rebuild that point where there is a surplus of respect, there is enough of it to go around, where we're not looking at everybody else as an opponent to be beaten, as somebody else that i got to steal status away from. I've got to climb over somebody else to be respected. And look, it goes deep. It goes really deep. I know there are a lot of people who feel frustrated and disrespected in their daily lives because if they want to get help from you name the service, you name the company, you name who they're dealing with, they got to go through an inhumane phone tree. They've got to sit there and deal with, you know, punching a button, press two for this, press three for that, and they never get to speak to a human being who takes their concerns, their need, or their, their problem seriously. No, they're stuck forever going through that voicemail hell. You know, they're constantly, perpetually being treated like machines by machines. There are people who feel disrespected for that. And I get that. You know, there was a, a fellow I was sitting there having dinner with. Uh, it was a group of people. We were sitting at a table. It was at a banquet. Eight of us sitting at the table. And this was just before the election last November. And this guy sat there, and, and the rest of us were having a conversation. And at one point, this guy who'd been silent throughout the whole meal, the whole dinner, suddenly piped up. And he was mad. And he was mad because in his view, and he's from here in the Midwest, his view was that he had been disrespected for so long by so many people, particularly in his case in government. He felt so disrespected by Washington. He was so tired of being treated like flyover country, like he didn't matter that he grumbled about this loudly to a table of fellow Midwesterners. Every one of us lived within a 300-mile radius of each other. We all live right here in the heartland. He grumbled this looking down at his plate because he had felt so beaten down, so disrespected for so long that he didn't even want to look somebody else in the eye to declare how disrespected he felt. That's a problem. And it's a problem because he's not the only one. There are so many people who feel that way. The solution to that, though, is not going to be by amping up the disrespect for each other. We've got to start finding, I think, some meaningful, some productive, some constructive things that we can do together as communities, as states, and as a country. We've got to start finding some of these things to do together, both as individuals and as groups, where we can come together and start saying, look, we can achieve things. We can do useful things. 2017 is the pinnacle of civilization, okay? We have reached the apex, and we're still climbing better. If you don't believe that, if you think that we are behind, if you think that we have fallen from some kind of grace, if you think that things were better at some other time in the past and we have to restore that, I invite you to really take an objective look at things. Things are better technologically, scientifically, medically, and in a lot of ways in our culture and in our laws. Many, many things have gotten better, but one of the things that hasn't is insisting that we have that respect surplus, and I think people are only going to feel respected if they have achievements to look at and to point to and to say, I built that, I did that, I helped make that happen, and maybe we need to find more of those things. And maybe that's the role for our cultural leaders and our political leaders and our religious leaders and our social leaders as well. 
we've all got to find some things that we can do constructively and that we can push forward towards. If we do that, people are going to feel pride. And pride in the self is self-respect, and that kind of self-respect is what allows us to go out and create some more, to share a surplus, to give to other people. That's the real solution out of this. There's no perfect or easy answer to the question of these monuments. There's no perfect or easy answer to the question of these statues. There's no perfect or easy answer to bigger questions of things like racism either. There's no easy answer to it, but there are answers. We've just got to start respecting ourselves enough to start pursuing them. 284-1040 if you'd like to give me a call, or you can text me at 989-1040. That's the American Toppers and Accessories text line. Brian at whoradio.com is my email address, uh, though I will promise I'm not going to be checking that constantly throughout the show. Looking forward to hearing from you on this. What's your constructive thing that we could start doing together? Not anything to take away from anybody else, but something we can usefully do together. I'd love to hear that. And I'd also like to figure out why in the devil some things are so much more complicated than they need to be. One of those, my light bulb. We'll talk about that coming up here in just a moment. It is 219. I'm Brian Gongle, and you're listening to News Radio 1040 WHO. It's 224 on News Radio 1040 WHO. I'm Brian Gongle. Thank you for hanging out here with me on a Saturday afternoon. I'm at the Iowa State Fairgrounds. We're in the iHeartRadio studio right now at the west end of the Grand Concourse. And be sure to stop on by out here. Like I've been telling you, you get a map on a stick. You can get a bag to carry your swag around. And while you're visiting us here at the fair... Be sure to stop by, and uh, you can actually register for your chance to win $1,000 powered by Cellular Advantage. So, you know, money is usually a good incentive. That gets people's attention. That's one of those things you can pick up while you are hanging out here on the fairgrounds, at least your chance to win some money. I can't guarantee you're going to win. I make no promises like that. I can only promise you you get a free opportunity to win. We'd love to see you, of course, stop by here again at the uh, iHeartRadio studios at the Iowa State Fairgrounds, west end of the Grand Concourse, kind of over by the DNR building, sort of just a little bit west of the grandstand and a little bit west of the Varied Industries building. A beautiful day out here as we've got 81 degrees and a mostly sunny sky. A fantastic day to be wandering around. It's not even too humid or anything like that, so a really pleasant day. But if you need a little air conditioning, the iHeartRadio studios are the place to go. And you know what? This is one of those things that it's one of those pleasant days, but you know, things like the, the functioning air conditioning are just these reminders that, you know what? Life really does keep, you know, keep on getting better, whether we try to, to make it better or not. I mean, there's a lot of constructive incentive out there for people to do better things all the time. If you really do think life was, you know, a far degree better many years ago than it is today, and it turns out there are a large number of Americans who think this. According to a survey that uh, the Pew Research Center just did, there's actually a substantial portion of Americans, about 41% overall, who actually think that life is worse today than it was 50 years ago. 41% of Americans thinking that things are worse than they were 50 years ago? If that's the case, I invite them to turn in their smartphones, their laptops, their airbags, their microwave ovens, and basically all of their things like chemotherapy drugs. Pretty much everything else has gotten better. I will tell you this, though. One thing that does not necessarily always feel like it has gotten better in the last 50 years is the light bulb. Now, I am a huge partisan for getting rid of the incandescent light bulb and just doing it on your own because the new LED bulbs, for instance, use so much less energy. They're so much cooler. I just replaced one last night. We had a little, one of these halogen spotlights because I'm in a house that's been around and this wing of the house has been around since the 80s. This is probably an original light bulb from then. The thing is thermonuclear anytime I try to go anywhere close to it. So it finally burned out and I replaced it with one of these little LEDs. The LED uses some like six watts compared to the 35 watts of the old halogen. 
So look, I am glad that those things have improved dramatically, and I'm so happy that LED bulbs cost a lot less than they used to. But for a while there, when the government stepped in and said, we're going to eliminate incandescent light bulbs, the conventional Edison-style light bulb, which they decided they were going to jettison and make us all jettison in the process, for a while there, the LEDs cost a huge sum. They were very, very expensive. And the mid-range price, the substitute people went for were those compact fluorescents, little CFL bulbs. Let me tell you about a mistake I made on one of those this week. <laughs> so my kid was playing around, and uh, she's, you know, okay, so she's two, she's curious, she's at that age where she grabs things like, say, window curtains and starts swinging them around to see what they'll do. Hey, I can look outside, I can be inside, look, I can look outside again. And she was swinging it around wildly and knocked a, a lamp off of a uh, nightstand. I didn't realize that this light still had one of those CFLs. I thought I'd replaced all of them in the house. Have you ever had one of these things shatter on the floor before? Because if they have, if you've seen this, and if you've followed the instructions of the EPA, you might, if you did it properly, you might actually be qualified to go do cleanup at Fukushima or at Chernobyl, because the instructions that follow from the EPA for what you do with this, I'm not kidding you, following instructions. This, these are just the bullet points for before cleanup. Number one, have people and pets leave the room. Number two, air out the room for five to ten minutes. Number three, shut off the air conditioning. Number four, collect the materials you will need to clean up the broken bulb, including cardboard, sticky tape, damp paper towels, disposable wet wipes, and a glass jar with a metal lid or sealable plastic bag. If you follow all of these instructions, this is just to get ready. This is before you even get it underway. Then you are supposed to clean up. By the way, don't vacuum, because apparently if you use a vacuum cleaner to clean up the smashed light bulb that you have on the floor, which by the way means there are shards of glass on the floor, if you use a vacuum, apparently then you're going to spread mercury throughout the house and potentially poison yourself for the next, I think they said the half-life is 60 days in your potty that the mercury hangs around. This is ridiculous. Then you're supposed to clean these things up, put it all into the sealable container, and then after cleanup, you've got multiple bullet points, including check with your local government about disposal requirements in your area because some localities require fluorescent bulbs, broken or unbroken, to be taken to a local recycling center. I mean, <laughs> come on, people. That was not an improvement over the conventional incandescent light bulb. If I've got to go through that many steps to dispose of something that is already annoying enough to be broken glass on the floor of my kid's nursery, I don't know that these things are really functional and useful for us to keep out there uh, on the consumer market. Again, I, I, I wish that the government hadn't stepped in to ban the incandescent. I don't think that they need to step in to ban the CFL. But if you haven't thought about it, if you have one of these sitting around, and I hate them to begin with because I hate the light that they give off. It flickers. It, the early ones really flickered like crazy. These, the newer ones still do to a degree, and it just bugs my eyes. I go for the, the conventional, if I can find them, the LED bulbs anywhere I can. If you haven't thought about replacing them, though, apparently you're going to need to get the hazmat suit out. Make sure you do that now before they break all over the floor. Replace them with something that will last a little bit longer and potentially not require you, again, to suit up in the full you know, Walter White outfit to try to clean up the place so you don't poison yourself on a permanent basis. Good Lord. 2.30 on News Radio 1040 WHO. We're going to uh, continue chatting here with a really bad prescription for social media right after this on News Radio 1040 WHO. 
It's 2.35 on News Radio 1040 WHO. I am Brian Gongle. Thanks for hanging out here with me on this fine Saturday afternoon at the iHeartRadio studios on the Iowa State Fairgrounds. We are actually doing some special programming here. We're actually, uh, not only is this show live, as we typically are, 2 to 4 o'clock on Saturdays, but we've actually done some, we've doubled down a bit on our on our live programming. And this particular Saturday, you'll even have the opportunity to hear uh, some people going on live for two hours after me. So if I get on your nerves at some point, make sure you don't leave permanently. Be sure to come back by 4 o'clock. Well, right? and we'll, we'll uh, give you a prime example of why Brian shouldn't get on your nerves. <laughs> <laughs> Brian got on, you think Brian got on your nerves. Oh, well, I'll show you what it's like to get on your nerves. Yes, it will be State Fair Live with Jeff Angelo and Andy Peterson. And hey, Andy's good afternoon, sir. Thanks for coming in here. I was doing the math a little earlier. I think this will be 13 straight days that uh, WHO listeners have been subjected to me, so it's probably <laughs> time to, uh, to wrap that up for a day or two, don't you think? Well, it does look like, I'm looking here at the schedule, you are not on the schedule for tomorrow. Is right. that correct? Okay, so you that, actually... No, well, <laughs> well, if I am somebody... With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground. Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. You better tell me. <laughs> <laughs> and bring you an extra corn dog to make up for it. Oh, uh, craft beer, something along those lines, sure. I, I tell you what, I'm kind of disappointed here. I uh, Going into the state fair, my offer was the following. You know, I talk about topical stuff here, a little bit of news, politics, you know, money, all these different things. And my offer was, if anybody wanted to say that they were running for president, they wanted to announce <laughs> their candidacy on this show, <laughs> I started out, I think, by offering them a pork chop on a stick. Uh-huh. And then I raised it because then I added the tater ribbons. I said, fine, then I'll throw in a funnel cake as well. Before I was done, I think I was offering 50 bucks worth of food and nobody has come in here. Well, see, it's good for announce. you. It saved you 50 bucks, right? <laughs> well, I would have preferred to have had somebody announce <laughs> yeah, the candidacy for president bucks. on the show. That would have been the best 50 bucks I'd ever spent, right? <laughs> Boy, you sound like a politician trying to buy people off, huh? Well, I'm just, no, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an economist. I create incentives there for people go. to behave in ways that uh, I favor. I, I just, see. I want to incentivize good uh-huh. behavior. Spoken like a true politician, too. Yeah, yeah. you know, I've got Spun a like a true politician. <laughs> hey, look, I've only been here on WHO for 20 years now. So, you know, one of these days, I'll, I, I might just have to go do the Ronald Reagan thing. Yeah. He was here far shorter and got into politics far sooner. By this point <laughs> in his career, I think he was already running for governor So it of sounds to me like the announcement might come from you, huh? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't think I, it's much like they say about, uh, I think it was Groucho Marx was uh, the one who declared he wouldn't want to be uh, part of any group that would have him. Yeah. It was, it was one of those. Yeah. Nobody, there's no party that would want to have me as a here's, kid. Here's
here's the announcement. Sure. I will not accept, nor will I seek, <laughs> right. the presidential nomination by my party, or the well, nomination by my party, or whatever that speech. I, I will tell you, though, if I get the opportunity, maybe if I do decide to run for office, I might run on an anti-compact fluorescent light bulb campaign. I hear that. Because I've gotten a couple of texts here. Uh, Bill in Oskaloosa texting to suggest that the step in the instructions that I missed with the cleanup of the CFL was calling the hazmat team. Yeah. He's right on that one. George was uh, texting in to point out that, yes, it is mercury, which manufacturing says that they must have in a very, very tiny amount in the process. And this is the thing that I found out from reading through all this. It's not actually that, you know, it's not the liquid mercury that we remember from classic thermometers mm -hmm. or anything. It's the vapor itself. And so what you actually want is for the vapor to recondense, but it's of such a small volume that you won't know if it's there, which is why you have to do all the wiping up of everything. That's why you've got to clean up after these things so badly. I know. It's, it's bizarre. And I don't even know if it has to do with that white powdery substance that's on the inside of the bulb that then gets all over the floor when these CFLs shatter. It's ridiculous. Boy, I guess. Who would have ever thought that fluorescent light bulbs would have taken up 20 minutes of somebody's show on WHO <laughs> Radio someday, right? <laughs> well, I'll just wrap up with this one. Joe and Johnston texted in to say his toy poodle ate two of those CFLs as a puppy. I would alone be concerned about the animal getting the glass in his digestive tract. Well, yeah, and, and much uh, less the mercury. What he what he failed to mention, I think, is that the uh, tail fell off, and the dog now only has three legs. <laughs> <laughs> Should be just about right, and all because the EPA said yes, that we we're not going exactly to have right. these old style light bulbs around. <laughs> I tell you what, these guys uh, trying to tell trying to tell uh, what we can do to make the environment better off. And believe me, it's actually the, the business that I'm in Monday through Friday is trying to keep Iowa's waters clean and have safe drinking water for you there. But I, you do find even within the industry that there are times when the regulations to make things safer make things less safe mm -hmm. or make them more complicated. Unintended consequences, right? Hey, you're sounding like an economist now. Oh no! See, that's well. No, no, I welcome you, you know, into the fold. <laughs> does that <laughs> mean? Does that mean if I'm on with Angelo for two hours, I'm going to really start sounding like a uh, politician? <laughs> yeah, Jeff actually does have electoral experience. I, I know. That's not, what I'm worried so. about. <laughs> it's entirely possible. Spend time with me, you're going to start talking about money. Spend time with him, you're going to start talking about. It. You might actually end up Michael Bloomberg by the time you're done. I'm not sure. It's possible. He's got both the business and the, the government experience. You know, experience. on that second thought, it. I think Jeff's capable of hosting his own show for two hours. <laughs> Well, let me ask you a question on this one, Andy. This is a good one. I, I'm presuming the answer is that you are more responsible for these things than you'll officially let on. But uh, social media, you're engaged in some of that, right? You, uh, you, you know of it. You might participate. <laughs> I'm engaged in. Some... <laughs> in I'm being accused of being engaged <laughs> in social media. Well, look, um, this isn't a Watergate break-in. Plead or the fifth. <laughs> yeah, this is, we're not not accusing you of it, but you've used social media. I peruse it every now and then. Yes. I suppose I may contribute to it every now and then. Yes. You are a generator of social content. There you go. That's what we like to call it. Uh, a columnist uh, the other day suggested that, you know, one of the problems that we have is lots of bad behavior in social media. People saying things because they can do so anonymously that they wouldn't actually say to other people. They're chicken, yeah. Yeah, they wouldn't say it to your face. I mean, and granted, if we have you as a caller here on WHO Radio, I can't vet whether you are giving me your actual name. I don't know if Joe and Johnston here really had, uh, you know, the puppy who ate the CFLs or anything like or that. Or if his name is really Joe or if he's actually in Johnston, right? I mean, it, it could, in fact, be Charlene from Ames. Like, it, could I don't be, know. it could be that little guy out there on his phone, right, on <laughs> the Grand Concourse. You know what? Never underestimate the power of a young person to text something to you at an inopportune time. <laughs> it's, it's always out there. So this is the problem, is that obviously there's a lot of misbehavior that has come about because people think 
that they are anonymous. You know, it's like the old New Yorker cartoon on the internet. Nobody knows if you're a dog. Mm -hmm. Or they think they know it all and now have a platform by which to try and show everybody or whatever the case may be, right? Goodness, yes. Goodness, yes. But here's the problem. You can can identify that the... the, You can get the, the diagnosis right, which is, boy, the anonymity of social media certainly does contribute to a lot of bad behavior, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I... Personally, you know, again, as, as people who are hosts on the air, you know, using our names, you know who we are. We have reputations that we have to build upon. And, mm-hmm. you know, we say stupid things that undercuts our reputation and can go out the window, right? So we've got something to lose. Here yeah, I, well, I mean, I say stupid things probably more <laughs> than I say smart, so. <laughs> but at the, at the very <laughs> that whole reputation thing, come on, Brian. <laughs> you get credit for getting it right, though, as well, or you, at least you should. Yeah, hopefully. On social media, of course, again, nobody has any kind of accountability for that, right? You don't mm-hmm. have a, a, a you know, reputation to maintain. Here's the problem. You get that diagnosis right, doesn't mean that you've got the right prescription. This okay. columnist, uh, Leonid Brzezinski, uh, had uh, supposed, or proposed, rather, that uh, instead of dealing with these anonymous accounts that are online, instead of uh, trying to deal with the fact that maybe we should all discount things that we read from somebody's you know, anonymous account, instead he thinks that Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all these different services need to crack down on anonymous accounts and require everyone to go by their own individual name that they can verify with something like a credit card. And if you can't do that, you shouldn't get to be on social media at all. Yeah, but then they wouldn't be able to brag about how many users they have and try and take that to advertisers and charge confiscatory <laughs> advertising rates, right? And come on, Mr. Economist. Say, this is the problem. This is exactly right. If you can't get the endorsement deal by saying wacky, cockamamie things uh-huh. and uh, get away with this permanently. Yeah, this, I can't believe this. His, he goes on to suggest, and I kid you not, I'm going to quote here from you. He's saying that the social media sites, and I quote, should be regulated in the same way as a TV station or newspaper, which always knows the authors of the information it publishes. <laughs> okay. Maybe not the sources of the information the authors <laughs> used to publish the article, but anyway, I, mean, I digress. I hear this, I read this, and I think this is both a radical prescription and a wildly misled one. This is so far off the mark. The thought that the government needs to step in and start regulating social networks, among other things, betrays a wild degree of overconfidence in the ability of the government to regulate good behavior. Okay, we've been trying to do that in all kinds of different ways for, you know, the better part of the time we've been a country. The government's been trying to encourage various forms of good behavior. There have been times government has encouraged behavior that was really, really bad behavior. You know, I think, for instance, about uh, at a time when it was widely encouraged that if you knew anybody who was a communist, you should turn them into the House uh, Government Affairs Committee or the House on american Affairs Committee so they could be brought up before Congress and thrown in the who's gal. How'd prohibition work? (laughs) How'd prohibition work out for you? It's like, well, hang on a second here. If you think that the government is the pure source of virtue in all of the things that we do, and that they are so virtuous that they should then regulate how you and I talk on social media. And in the meantime, Congress has an approval rating of what, like 17%? It's uh, pretty amazing because uh, we all seem to like our individual member of Congress, but on average hate everybody else's. Okay, so that's fine. If we think they're doing a terrible job, why would we put them in charge of something else? This is what I just don't understand. Right? I mean, yeah, exactly. But just the, the notion here that you need to amp up the degree of regulation that is taking place in order to keep people from behaving badly. It's like, no, here's the deal. We've got roadways. For instance, you go down 235, you've got stripes going down the roadway. Everybody's got a lane to be in. Everybody knows what the rules of the road are. The speed limit's posted on the side of the road and everything. We all know what the good behavior should be. 
government's not really got a very good way to regulate the guy who's a clown who flips you the bird as he's cutting you off while crossing three lanes of traffic to make the exit at 42nd Street or something like that. What's wrong with that? Oh, you're one of those guys. (laughs) I didn't say that. I just wondered what's wrong with that. What's wrong with that kind of behavior? Uh, As long as I don't cause an accident. Wait a minute. As long as that doesn't (laughs) cause an accident. That's what we're going to call. I'll call in Jim Brown to give us the report on that stuff. But that's the thing. It's like we've got rules of the road and we can follow the rules of the road. And the whole idea here is as, as... with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Americans, we follow the necessary rules. The rest of the time, we're just responsible for our own behavior. Mm-hmm. And if you are being irresponsible, okay, that should be addressed. But that doesn't mean that it's the government's job to step in and fix your bad behavior all the time. That's the part that just, to me, boggles the mind. You know, I learned a long time ago that if somebody's going to open their mouth and put their foolishness on full display, yeah. let them go right ahead. I thought you were going to say it's likely to be me Saturday afternoons from 2 till 4 on WHO. <laughs> I didn't have to. You did it for me. I just, it positively drives me nuts to think that everything that we don't like needs to be regulated instead of, I don't know, addressed like adults. And if you think that the problem is that there are kids on social media doing stupid things. Where do you think they learned it? And they are. Or the exactly. lack of learning. That's the killer. Exactly. They either don't know or they learned it. As the old uh, anti-drug video went, I learned it by watching you, Dad. Yeah, I learned yeah. it by watching you. <laughs> I mean, for crying out loud. If only this were taught more often. Rather, it's it's better to be thought a fool than open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> That's a classic line. Although Maybe, I haven't learned it yet. so. Well, again, we're just we're just paid to flap our gums here occasionally on the air. So hopefully we're doing so in ways that keep our reputations yeah. afloat. Yeah, if, if, I, uh, if, I open my, you know, if I don't open my mouth and remove all doubt, then we have dead air. And that, <laughs> they frown on that to nobody. He has a sense of humor about that. It, it, that's why we do occasionally refer to it in this in this uh, business as keeping the meters moving. That's what we're uh, oftentimes told we're supposed to do. Now, Bill and Ames wanted to comment on this. Bill, thanks for calling WHO Radio. Well, thanks for putting me on. I mean, the, the federal government, the role of the federal government is to step in when states don't deal with something and people continue to, or somebody does something as egregious across the state line. And, and, and social media trying to keep track of who's saying what and where, that's much more communist or Nazi or whatever, and regulating that, that's, um, that's something we have to grow into and figure out how. Having them say what's right speech and what's wrong speech, that's... Uh, that, that, there's no place for that in our legal system. Well, I certainly appreciate the fact that you've uh, paid attention to your Ninth and Tenth Amendments bill, where it's, uh, if the rules aren't written in, if it isn't something we explicitly tell the federal government they can do at the top, uh, you know, I don't know, in the top of the document, then the bottom of the document says, then it belongs to the states or to the people. That's how this stuff is supposed to work. Now, I don't want to see state-by-state regulation of what's happening on every bit of social media, because that would just make things ten times worse, I imagine. I don't want to know what I would be allowed or permitted to say in California. California that I could or could not say in, say, Utah, 
or say here. Now, let's say that you tagged somebody who lives in California well, while you're in Iowa. Does that fall under California regulations or Iowa regulations? And not to mention the fact that then it does Argentinian. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> what if I'm overseas? And, and the real question then is, does it matter whether you're located in one place or another or where the bits and bytes are? Because with the data centers that they're building over in Altoona, for instance, mm-hmm. what you say on Facebook, you might be saying cross-country, but it's maybe being stored right here in Des Moines. So, you know, yeah, then no, it becomes it, dependent it, on that. It, it, it's something that we, the government should regulate the ability of people to access. It should regulate the protection of people from people doing bad things, people scamming, people hacking, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It should not try to regulate the way people act. We have a wonderful set of laws throughout the country in regards to trade and protection and that sort of thing, this is not something that um, needs to be dealt with by any of our state or federal governments yeah, it's, um, at all. It's all a matter of making sure that we're behaving ourselves, and I find that the in, in general the services like Facebook, like, like Twitter, tend to have incentives to get rid of people who do misbehave. Not necessarily but, enough to make them act all the time, but uh, they're learning. It's a process. They're figuring it out. But I did hear something interesting that there was a, a movement afoot because um, our current president had decided to threaten um, North Korea on Twitter um, that he was bullying them. Um, <laughs> So it's a, you know, I've, I've spent so much time on this subject that I don't know if it's going to be safe for me to spend more on it. Uh, we'll, we'll just put it somewhere else. How about those cubs? There we go. I appreciate hey, that hey, one, hey, Bill. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, no, Bill knows who his audience is right here. I got the button. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the call, Bill. Thank you very much. Thank you. It is 2.51 here on WHO Radio. You can't get on board with the Cubs? Come on. Cardinals fan. Oh, how did I not know this? And if so, how did I let you on the air? You and Angelo together? I know. That's we might talk baseball for two hours. You never know. Yeah, well, yeah. Although we'd have had a lot more exciting things to talk about last weekend than this weekend. Huh? <laughs> if you're thanks to... for Dexter Fowler, by the way. Look, I, uh, I appreciate all that you guys did for us last season. <laughs> you're living in the past, eh? <laughs> I'll just thank you for that. You know what? Go ahead. Once every 108 years, I'm good with that. Now, go away for another 108 years, would you? Well, we'll talk about that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, been, uh, it's been since 2012, uh, the Cardinals' turn again. I guess you guys just got too used to it. We needed to clean things up a little bit. Anyway. <laughs> well, we're entitled to it. Come on. No, now, now them's fighting words. Uh-huh. <laughs> we better take a break. It is 2.52. I'm Brian Gongle. And thank you very much to Andy Peterson hanging out with us. He's again on 4 o'clock this afternoon for two hours. Maybe then they'll have cards talk. Right here on News Radio 1040, WHO. Well, I wouldn't necessarily call it listening, Bob. That's all entirely up to you. It's 256 here on News Radio 1040 WHO. I'm Brian Gongle. Thanks for being here with me this fine Saturday afternoon. The Iowa State Fairgrounds, busy but not too packed. A wonderful day for you to come on out here and check things out at the Iowa State Fair. And, of course, stop in at the iHeartRadio studios. We are at the west end of the Grand Concourse, kind of across the way from the DNR building, just a little ways to the west of varied industries and the and the and uh, just all the action, really, going up and down the Grand Concourse. That's where we're located. Come see us. I'm within sight of the grandstand. Maybe I'll even I'll tweet out a picture here from looking at, in the studios, looking out, and you can do the same thing from the opposite end. You can take your pictures and tweet about us looking in from the outside. 
Anyway, pleasant day to be outside. Uh, do be careful. If you happen to be up in uh, northern Iowa right now, just a heads up, a bunch of delays on I-35 southbound. It's uh, between the Highway 20 area and Ellsworth. Apparently there's a uh, maybe a wreck up there. Slowing things down pretty badly in the southbound lanes. A couple of minutes delay. It's not going to be terrible for you. Maybe five or ten minutes it appears. But uh, between exits uh, 139 and 133 southbound on Interstate 35 up in northern Iowa. Maybe about, I'd say about an hour, an hour or so north of Des Moines, a little bit less than that. That's the direction uh, where you need to be a little extra careful. Joe in Johnston texting in to narc on himself. He is now Joe from Des Moines. So he did uh, text in to correct that. See, as we were talking about here uh, with Andy Peterson, maybe he was, uh, you know, fictionalizing his background as he texted in. But that's like, way uh, Joe corrected himself and has now identified that location. Also sent uh, a picture of that adorable little dog who was the one who crunched through two CFLs when a puppy, the dog is now 10 years old. So apparently the dog can survive this. So I will not be too terribly uh, overly concerned about the well-being of my kid. I think I've done a good enough job cleaning up the smashed CFL all over the floor. I hope I have. I sealed everything up. I followed all the instructions. I did not call hazmat. I just had to do that on my own. Derek uh, texting in to note that uh, Jim Brown would be reporting on that guy who cuts you off after crossing three lanes of traffic to get off at the 42nd Street exit because that car would end up in a ditch. It's certainly over at that corner on I-235 as well, right? That's the, it's where it gets hard to see things well in advance. So if anybody decides to play the idiot and cross over too many lanes of traffic, that's where that gets you into plenty of difficulty and plenty of trouble. 284-1040 is the telephone number. 989-1040 is the American Toppers and Accessories text line. You can text in any time. Brian at whoradio.com is the email address. And if you want to find me over on someplace like Twitter, my username is Brian Gongle, B-R-I-A-N-G-O-N-G-O-L, where I will tweet out a couple of pictures here looking out from the studios. We'd love to get your pictures uh, looking in. And just stop by. Come on in here. you got a chance you could win 1000 bucks. That should be in incentive enough to make you check that out. That is a thousand bucks powered by Cellular Advantage. That's a big opportunity for you here. I got a friend who is coming on the show here in the next hour. We're going to have a conversation that uh, might surprise you a little bit. And it might be one that you need to maybe duplicate in your own life as well. Stick around. We'll have that coming right up. It is 259. I'm Brian Gongle. Coming up with the news on News Radio 1040 WHO. Once again, we are at the Iowa State Fairgrounds. And when I say we, I mean everybody in here at the iHeartRadio studios. We're on the west end of the Grand Concourse. Come on out and see us at the Iowa State Fair. It's your opportunity to get things like a map on a stick. It's an opportunity for you to recharge your phone. We've got a cell phone charging station that is right here from Cellular Advantage and U.S. Cellular giving you an opportunity to to recharge the phone should your battery run a little bit dry. We'll get you set up with that. And by the way, you've also got, of course, the opportunity to sign up and register for your chance to win 1000 bucks powered by Cellular Advantage. A really good opportunity there. You just stop by and we got air conditioning. It's not all that warm. Low 80s in Des Moines right now, about 82 degrees. Partly cloudy sky, a slight breeze out there, but we've got air conditioning. So it's a great opportunity for you to stomp in, get yourself cooled off, should that be something that you need. On your way into the fairgrounds, on your way back as you're maybe heading on out, we're here in a great location over here again on the west end of the Grand Concord. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere wear with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Of course, on the Iowa State Fairgrounds, we are live for the next hour here on News Radio 1040 WHO. Coming up in the next hour, we'll actually have some special live programming continuing here from the fairgrounds. State Fair Live with Jeff Angelo and Andy Peterson. They will be on from 4 till 6 o'clock. So great opportunity for you to keep on poking your nose against the glass while you're out here on the State Fair and see us broadcasting live. Great opportunity for you. I mean, I, it's fun for me to get Saturday afternoons here, and it's really extra fun to have so many of my uh, colleagues and friends here from WHO spending some time with us. This week, I, I found a line from somebody who I thought I, I really respect a lot. Her name is Corey Shockey. And Corey Shockey is a, an expert on some foreign affairs and how different countries relate to one another, very much from an American, pro-American kind of perspective. And she made a comment about the reason we got to do some things and take action on things. And her line was approximately like this. The arc of history bends only when people grab onto it and wrench it in the direction that they want to go. It's not good enough to hope that good things will happen. We have to make good things happen. And that's like a, that's a pretty deep philosophical point, really, to make. But, I mean, if you think about it, civilization itself, it's subject to entropy. If you do not remember your, you know, physics class from high school, basically things fall apart if we don't keep putting them back together, if we don't make a conscious effort to make good things happen. So we've got to do that. And this brings up to mind something that I noticed while I was scrolling through Facebook this past week. A friend of mine made a comment that really got my attention. Now, let's lay the groundwork here a little bit, because I want you to understand who this is and why we're talking about this. This is my friend Isaiah McGee. Isaiah, we've got you on the line. Just checking that you're there. You get, you're safely yep. where you can speak with me, right? I am. I <laughs> Very good. Well, I, I knew that you'd been on the roadways earlier today. I knew that there was some traffic up north on I-35, so I wanted people to know about that and wanted to make sure you were in a safe location as well. So Isaiah and I go back a long ways. I mean, I, I was trying to think of when, how long we've known each other. It's been at least 10 years. It's somewhere in that uh, neighborhood, yeah, right? Over, yeah, over that. Uh, at this point, I'm probably uh, close to 15. That's yeah. I think you're probably about right. And and you might not even know this. I might not have ever even confessed this to you. But you were actually there. Maybe you do know. You were actually there. At what turned into my first date with my wife. Just so you know. <laughs> it turns out that Isaiah and and his your son were there with us. And a thing where we just a couple of us got together and went out. And then everybody else kind of peeled off. And my wife and I. Well, she wasn't my wife at the time, but uh, she became my girlfriend there. And then things kind of escalated from that point. But Isaiah was actually there with us. That's how far back we go. <laughs> so you've got some cred here with me. We know each other. We've known each other through a lot of things. You've had some experiences uh, here in Central Iowa as well that you know people may recognize your name. But can you give people a couple of places? Where where they might have seen your name or known some things about what you do? Uh, well, yeah. Uh, so I've, uh, I've served in a, a lot of different capacities. Uh, um, I served in, in the administration for the, uh, the, the Branstead administration uh, back when he uh, served as governor for the second round. Mm-hmm. Um, I also uh, was a, a government relations person, an equity consultant uh, for the uh, Department of Ed. I've been on the city council out in uh, uh, for the city of Waukee, uh, and, and probably just a, a, a person that's involved in a number of different things here and there <laughs> across the uh, across the city and uh, or across the metro area and across the state as well. 
Exactly. And I, and I wanted to lay that groundwork because I knew there were people who'd probably go, well, I've heard of this guy. Where have I heard of him before? And I wanted to establish that not only do I know you from that exposure, but, you know, we're, we're personal friends. We're like, like you were saying, I think 15 years, man, now you're making me feel kind of old. But <laughs> it's a good thing. It's a good experience that we've had because you have been one of the people that I would point to that a couple of weeks ago I said something on the air about the fact that I really sincerely appreciated the fact that there are things that people have started to say and share about their experiences and their lives on places you know, like social media, like on Facebook, like on Twitter, that I guess maybe just don't normally come up in ordinary conversation. It's not what happens when you know we're hanging out, grilling out on the back patio necessarily, but it's because it's something that's happening in the moment, in the middle of the week when you know news breaks and you have a reaction to it. You have an experience that I think colors somebody else's experience of this. And and I tell you what, when I saw this comment that you made on Facebook, it really got my attention, Isaiah. Because Isaiah said, and I'm, I'm not going to quote your full post or anything, I was just going to point out, you had noted at some point this past week as, as all of the various news events were going on, particularly with what had happened in Charlottesville and, and so forth, that you had wished that somebody would just ask you about your experiences in the world, and what's what your experiences have been particularly, because I think your quote was here, the most frustrating thing about this week, I wish just one, one of my white friends, particularly the friends with which I'm one of the few black friends that they have, would ask me, hey, tell me about your experiences. And I thought, man, I've known you for, you know, like you say, 15 years. I don't think I've ever explicitly sat down and asked you about that. And that's a really good question. I, uh, maybe I should. I probably should have. What were you getting at with that? What was the kind of thing you were thinking that people have been missing out on asking? Yeah, so uh, I have a, a, a real simple philosophy that our, our perspectives are birthed from our experiences. So when we look at, uh, when we talk about how people see the world and how uh, how they, they, they approach the world, a lot of that comes from the experiences that they've had. So, and this week has been... Uh, what's been frustrating, and I know there's frustrations on, on uh, quote-unquote both sides, and uh, and there's a lot of nuance to a lot of these conversations. And you're talking uh, about things like Charlottesville. You're talking about the removal of yeah. the Confederate monuments and so forth. Yes, ab- absolutely. Uh, but one of the things that I, I think has been frustrating, particularly for for me, and 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 I don't I, I don't want to speak for for all African Americans, um, but I do I, I will say. This is something that that a lot of folks and who have my similar experiences uh, as an African American uh, would would share would say, and, and that is oftentimes when we are, are in these conversations, uh, no one does ask us, "Hey, you know, what what is what is what has been your experience?" Or or you, you're saying that 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 racism uh, is still is still alive and present, or it's still there. Um, you know, why, why do you believe that? Why do you, why do you think that? Uh, and especially because I, you know, the, the idea is coming from the standpoint of our, our intentions are, 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 are well, uh, are, are, we're trying to come from this place of, or like a, sometimes I say, uh, we're all the protagonists for our own story. So we can always justify our actions. We can, uh, you know, qualify uh, our, 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 our statements and we understand what we're trying to do, and, and we want to be the good guy. We want to be the, the person on the right side of things. So it's easy when we see evil, um, which oftentimes uh, is, is associated with, uh, with, with racism, uh, it's, it's, it's quick and easy for us to separate ourselves from it because we know that in our own heart, 
we don't necessarily intend for that to be that way. But we never consider maybe some of the unintentional uh, uh, reasons or some of the unintentional things that may occur, or some of the things that may occur to other folks. Uh, and that's what kind of been blowing up for for me or, or kind of uh, getting me to a point where where I've been speaking out a little bit more. And so what, and what you're talking about here, it, let me see if I can make sure I'm understanding the context right. You're, you're kind of referring to the fact that there are a lot of people who have used the phrase in the past week, something along the lines of, well, I'm not a racist, but, and or they've said, well, I don't know anybody who's racist. I don't know anybody who, who would say a thing like that, who would do a thing like that. I mean, I that's what I've been seeing that's kind of caused me to go, well, now, wait a minute. <laughs> Yeah, you probably do know somebody who's a racist. Yeah, you probably do know somebody who's thinking these things. And if you're not alert to that, maybe you're not paying enough attention. I mean, isn't that probably yeah. what's going on here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if we take it from its, its most simplest point, uh, the folks that we that we saw uh, who were protesting uh, in Charlottesville, the specifically the the white nationalists, the white supremacists, uh, the the neo Nazis, et cetera, the KKK folks, whatever. Uh, all of those folks left from from that experience and this week they went back to their normal job and some of those jobs may be all kind of things it could be they could be bankers they could be lawyers they could be uh plumbers they could be teachers uh, you know, judges politicians there are all these types of things and the the funniest the funniest thing about racism is that if it is a hard issue how can we it's not going to always uh present itself and something very tangible. And so for folks who are on the receiving end of that, oftentimes we have these experiences, and we have to question those experiences. Well, you know, was I was I treated this way uh, because that person is just a jerk? Or was I treated this way because this person is a jerk and has some issues related to uh, a power differential based off of race? A question which, as I've been kind of trying to become more conscious of these things, I realize that I never have to ask myself that question, really. I mean, you know, as a, a, a guy who's, you know, a, gen, a white Gen Xer male in, you know, in the, the late 30s, I, I don't ever ask if anybody's racist against me. I don't ever have to ask if somebody's being a jerk if there's something deeper about that. I just assume, no, they're just a jerk. I get to assume that. And that's kind of... That itself is kind of a problem, really, that I, I, I see the world through a different lens because I've got that opportunity to do that. Yes, absolutely. And sometimes, it's, you know, I, again, it's not always nefarious. Uh, and, and that's where I, I think there, there, are, there are a couple of different books I know that, I've, that I'm, I'm really big fans of. One called Is Everyone uh, Equal by uh, uh, Aslam uh, Sensoy, and then another one called uh, uh, racism without racist uh, by uh, Eduardo uh, uh, Silva, and uh, in, in in both of those, uh, well, Benia Silva, excuse me, in both of those uh, uh, texts, they both kind of really just kind of describe this whole atmosphere of what might be systemic uh, and and things that we just don't consider uh, from from time to time. The things that uh, we know history has a a legacy. We can't look at something and say just get over it. Just get over. Uh, we would never say something like "get over the Holocaust," or, or you know, if someone's a Christian, they wouldn't say, "Well, just get over uh, the the crucifixion." Uh, you know, the, a lot of these things have legacies, and they and they they have lasting effects that go on and on. And we have to consider maybe how those things have creeped into the way that we uh, the, the way we organize our society. 
uh, not just in, in our laws, which we have tried to do a, a, a pretty good job of trying to stamp out uh, not only uh, in 1865 and, and with the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, but also, uh, you know, 100 years later, we, we realized that we didn't uh, stamp all those things out. I mean, you have the Jim Crow um, era and, and uh, you have the civil rights laws that came along with it. But just take that for a second. You know, 1955, you have, uh, uh, you have uh, Brown versus Board of Education, Topeka, and, and, and that is supposed to, to end segregation in, in school. And just just from that standpoint alone, it still took you know to the '80s for schools to to be desegregated, and so that's a 30-year period uh, along, and we're still dealing with consequences and and reactions and and attitudes and and, and other issues related to that period of desegregation. So for us to go and think that okay just because our intent might be different now that there isn't a legacy that that is sustained uh, is uh, uh, is something i think we need to consider well, and I think people need to, you know, maybe need to see things through your lens here. It's essentially walking a mile in your shoes. And I want to help uh, you help us do that. And so, because I, okay, I think yeah. I think you got a good perspective on this, Isaiah. And I, I want to I want to help that happen a little bit. We've got to take a quick break. When we come back, let's let's just talk a little bit about what some of these experiences for you have been, what they have looked like to you. Because I, I know you personally, I can vouch for you personally, that uh, you're not somebody who's just going to complain for the sake of complaint. You're not, you're not looking for excuses on things. So if you tell me that you've experienced something, I want people to know this is you're cutting it straight. There's a real thing to pay attention to here. So let's chat about that here in just a second. So we're going to come back here in just a moment. My friend Isaiah McGee here with me on the airs. We're just talking through this past week, maybe through a pair of different lenses. So stick around. We'll come right back. It's 320. I'm Brian Gongle. This is News Radio 1040 WHO. 324 on News Radio 1040 WHO. I am Brian Gongle. We are at the iHeartRadio studios on the west end of the Grand Concourse at the Iowa State Fairgrounds, broadcasting to you live here on News Radio 1040 WHO. 284 1040 is the telephone number. 989 1040 is the American Toppers and Accessories text line. And I'm talking here with a friend of mine here on the WHO Radio Newsmaker line. His name is Isaiah McGee. And Isaiah and I, as we've established now, go back about something like 15 years or so. We've done a lot of things, uh, especially related to politics, especially on sort of the right side of the center on a lot of things in the past and so we know each other we've we've got a pretty good rapport here and Isaiah I want to dig into a little more of the questions of sort of the big questions of, of the history of some of these things maybe in a, a couple minutes but I wanted to first give you the opportunity here to kind of lay the groundwork for explaining your own personal history and what's gotten you to be an Iowan because you actually didn't grow up here but you have you've certainly made this your home really Yes, uh, absolutely. So uh, I was a, uh, a high school wrestler out in, in California, in Los Angeles, and uh, at the time, <laughs> I was uh, I was decently decently good. I was I was pretty well, um, and played uh, football as well too. So I came out to Iowa to uh, to Cornell College actually to, to play football and to to, to wrestle. And let me give you credit too. I, I've never noticed cauliflower here. Good job on you. <laughs> yeah, because I, I stopped wrestling before uh, when I when I realized I wasn't as good uh, in college as I was in high school. I uh, uh, decided to to spend my my uh, concentrate my efforts on football and uh, and some other efforts. Actually, uh, DJing and doing doing college radio. Look at that. So so that's what you did. So you went to college here in Iowa, and it was again out in Eastern Iowa that you went, right? Uh, yes, absolutely. So yeah, I spent uh, did my undergrad at, at Cornell College, and then. 
uh, left for a little bit, went to Colorado, came back uh, and uh, received my master's degree at, at, at Drake University and uh, uh, since doing some graduate work at, uh, at both actually the University of Iowa and now at Iowa State. And so with this experience, you've seen a lot of different uh, angles on Iowa because you're also, you know, you're a homeowner, you're a, a, you've got a family, you've been a person involved in politics here in Iowa and in a variety of different public sector administration jobs. So you've seen a lot of different things, but you're seeing it from the framework of, like you say, your experience started out for the first, you know, 18 years of your life living out on the West Coast. What do you see yeah. here that is something that, you know, I, as somebody who's been a, a lifelong Midwesterner, might not ever cross my mind about issues especially related to race. Well, here's, here's one of the things that I, I used to, to use as an example all the time. And let's, let's just take the movies, for example. Uh, there, there's a, a famous article by Peggy McIntosh called The Invisible Knapsack. And one of the things she uses in those examples uh, and, and that article is about, like, band-aids. But if you go to, the, a, to a store... Uh, and and you need to get a, a band-aid. You're you're probably going to find uh, a, a box that's called flesh color band-aid. And those flesh color band-aids are not going to be the color of my flesh, <laughs> for instance. <laughs> yeah, that's um, a good point. And, yeah, and and then you know, and obviously, I think now they do have uh, some that are probably multiple multiple colors. Uh, but even in that, those are more expensive. Uh, and so, uh, if I do want something that that matches mine. My skin tone, then it's going to be it's going to be a little bit more expensive uh, for for me, and and, and I get it. So, you know, we, we're in a free market, and and you know, you have to think about supply and demand and, and and those types of things. But it's just you know those smaller things that that are are interesting. And so I, I use the movies as an example because uh, this I think is really important from a standpoint of uh, uh, what lessons are, are are we learning? Anytime you go to a movie, even in the, at a the most multicultural movie that you can probably find. Uh, the, the movies are never centered, or even most stories are not centered from the perspective of someone uh, or from the experiences of someone like myself, or someone who might have my, my skin tone, or, or let's just say white and black. Uh, so, you know, the stories are usually told from the perspective of, uh, of a white person, and the persons of color uh, that might be in the movie uh, or in the storyline are are typically uh, are typically uh, objects or or side stories or uh, things are not centered centered from from their perspective. So uh, take that to its logical conclusion. You wonder, you know, when I look at my other, my my friend group, am I always a side attraction? Am I always an object for their benefit uh, rather than being able to look at myself as a subject and, and look at things from from my perspective? I mean, even even things as simple as uh, uh, as sometimes you going in for a job. Uh, so there. Oh well, it looks like we might have lost Isaiah there. We're, let me see if we can bring him back up here. Well, it's because it, that's he's making a really good point. And I want to make sure we get back to that. Um, we're going to come back here and talk in a second here again. This is we're talking with my friend Isaiah McGee, and I'm pointing this out because Isaiah and I are personal friends. Okay, we go back a long ways, but the stuff that has happened this past week is affecting him and affecting a lot of people in ways that I might be taking for granted, and I don't want to take for granted. I don't want to overlook what's happening, the magnitude of it, and we can talk about the history of it, and there's a lot of history that leads into questions of race and questions of what we commemorate and all that, 
but you know what? Sometimes we also just need to be able to see it through somebody else's eyes. We're going to chat with him. We're going to bring him back up here on the line uh, right after the news, and we'll, we'll dig a little more into this because it's a big story. I'm Brian Gongle. We'll come right back here on News Radio 1040 WHO. It's 3.35 on News Radio 1040 WHO, a beautiful Saturday afternoon in Des Moines. The sun is out, the weather is pleasant, the temperature pretty moderate, a little warm in the lower 80s, but other than that, it's just fantastic out here. A light breeze, but you know what? If- lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you need to cool off and at the Iowa State Fairgrounds, come on over and see us at the iHeartRadio studios. We are over on the west end of the Grand Concourse, right away across the way from the uh, DNR building and just a little ways down, a little ways to the west of the Varied Industries building, like by 200 feet or so. And I even took a picture here of uh, looking out from the studios, and I tweeted that out so you can see what it looks like from my perspective. Now, you go ahead and take your pictures and uh, tweet them on in or put them up on Facebook. Share what it looks like from the outside, our iHeartRadio studios. Just a gorgeous place here and a great opportunity for you to stop in. We've got air conditioning, we've got bags, we've got fans on a stick, we've got your chance to sign up to win $1,000. We've got a charging station for your radio, or for your phone rather, which by the way is also your radio if you happen to be using the iHeartRadio app. I strongly recommend and endorse that not only because you can take WHO radio with you wherever you go, which is obviously key, obviously just clutch to be able to take us anywhere you go. You also get to download podcasts off of there. For instance, like this one, you can subscribe to my podcast in case you miss a show, you want to listen back again to something that we've talked about. The podcasts are all there and available to you. The app is free. It all works seamlessly. It's beautiful. It pops up on your phone. It can even send you alerts when podcasts come up for shows that you like to listen to. Like, say, this one, I would hope. And that would tell you when we've got new episodes out there. All that available on the iHeartRadio app, and that is available to you for free. It works on Apple, works on Android. It's just a, a great opportunity for you to listen to more WHO radio programming and from our sister stations as well, anytime you like. Now, at 3.36 here on WHO, and we've been talking with my friend Isaiah McGee. And the reason that Isaiah and I are talking, I'm just going to reestablish kind of where this all started from Isaiah for anybody who's just tuning in. You had posted something on Facebook this past week essentially pointing out that you know, given the, the nature of the frustrations that are out there, of all the, there's a lot of hostility, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of confusion, and there's just a lot of disappointment about different things that have been taking place over the past week, starting with what happened with the protests and the, what ended up turning violent in, into a, a, basically a terrorist attack in Charlottesville, Virginia, and then the subsequent response on all sides, people looking to do things about removing Confederate monuments and people reacting to that, and there's been reaction and overreaction. There's just just a lot of heightened feelings all over the place. And you had pointed out in a comment on Facebook that you, as a, a black American, wished that one of your white friends would ask you about your experiences. And I realized you and I have been friends for 15 years, and I've never really asked you explicitly about that. I think I've made one comment once uh, that was specifically about how people relate. And I think that's the entire entirety of the conversation you and I have had in 15 years. So we're probably overdue personally <laughs> to have this little talk. And so that's why I thought we'd share with everybody listening on WHO Radio, because we're friends. We know. I know your personal experiences are important. I've never really asked about them, though. And you were starting to get into sharing a couple of those before we ran into a technical problem with your phone. So go ahead and get back to this. You were talking about how 
so often, if even if you see people of color showing up in movies, for instance, it's almost like it, it's a, a sideshow or a distraction. It's it's not even the main theme, unless, and I, I'll throw in my interjection on this, unless it's the pure fish-out-of-water story, which is itself kind of a cliché, right? Yes, ab- absolutely. Unless, unless that's the, the specific target, um, that's how those, those movies are. I mean, you think about it in, in literature. I, I do this a lot of times in, in different trainings. But I ask, all right, if, if I ask you to name you know, 30 folks that were VIP, um, you know, very important persons, and real life or fictional, uh, and I gave you like a minute to, to decide to do that, uh, uh, how many of those folks would be you know, a person of color or a person from some uh, marginalized uh, uh, community? Uh, that to me tells us a lot about what we understand or what we, uh, how we center things in terms of what we say is important or not. So, you know, even when we have a conversation over the, the, the $20 bill and then, you know, talking about replacing Andrew Jackson <laughs> with, with Harriet Tubman. Yeah, and I'm on board with that one, by the way. I've mentioned yeah. that before. Uh, you know, and, and, and just the hoopla that goes around with it. It's like, okay, can we, can we, can we get one person? You know, um, that, that we can look to and say, oh, yeah, I can relate to this person um, or I can, I can connect with this person based off, uh, based off of their experience. Because what happens a lot is uh, when we look at skin color, we say, oh, you know, I, I want to be colorblind. I don't want to ever notice skin. But the difference for folks who, who are of a different skin color um, is that we have different experiences. And so one of the other uh, examples that, that before we had difficulties that I was going to quickly share was, um, and I'm trying to be careful not to call anyone out or, or, or name any different places, but uh, I was in, at one uh, job one time where uh, the bosses that we had, they were, they were great folks, good friends. You know, I don't think they had any ill intent at all. But uh, a few of us who were, uh, were, were black or people of color noticed uh, that uh, some of our other colleagues who were white were getting more opportunities than we were. Um, in this particular job, and we were trying to, like, hey, we're working hard. What's what's going on here? And it hit us that uh, in this particular uh, situation, uh, it, it wasn't, you know, this person didn't like black people. Uh, it wasn't that they didn't like people of color, but it was they could relate a little bit easier when they were talking to some of our other colleagues about farming, about uh, about fishing, about hunting, about uh, experiences that we necessarily couldn't can relate to, uh, you know, maybe even something uh, along the lines of they were Cubs fans, you know, and, and just things like that. You know, where we were talking more about basketball, they were talking more about baseball. So it was just those types of experiences that provided them a better connection, a better relationship with uh, the folks that were in charge than than us, even though all of us were working just as hard. And I would say that what that sounds like, what you're describing, is not necessarily, it's not like an overt racism, it's more a lack of acculturation, or it's a lack of just acknowledging that, hey, maybe this is different because people come from different places or different backgrounds. I'm imagining, as you mentioned it, I, I, it never would have crossed my mind that you probably did not go hunting when you were growing up in Los Angeles. Now, I never did either, <laughs> but I notice, I do realize that I'm when I'm among people who do, you know, for instance, go hunting, that that's, I, I've got nothing to talk about. I, I don't have anything useful I can say about it. It's not that I dislike it, it's just that I've never done it. 
So, it, but it does leave me marginalized in those conversations because that's just not my background. That's just not how I happened to grow up hunting and fishing. It just wasn't a thing. So you're, you're, I, I can see, I can understand how that might leave you on the periphery of a conversation that might otherwise turn into, hey, you know, we've got an opportunity opening up in a couple of weeks. I know somebody's you know, retiring or they're going to move you know, to Colorado, so we've got a job opening uh, coming up and I want to make sure your, your application is in. I can see how you'd get left out of that if you don't have just that routine conversation ready. Yeah, absolutely, and sometimes it can it can go even further than that too. You know, so uh, there is an, an example that I think is fair to fair to share. Um, even uh, when you look at certain data or certain statistics about uh, uh, about um, how African Americans in particular or how Black Americans are, are looked at uh, as threats, even as at, even as early ages, and, when, and the reason why I'm giving that preference or that that that. Uh, background is there was an incident that happened where uh, I was building a house at the time, so I was living in an apartment, and uh, there had been a, an incident that had occurred in the apartment complex next door to mine, um, and one of the suspects uh, ran into the apartment complex where I was staying, and I'm getting ready for work in the morning. Well, on the news and, 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 and everywhere else, it would have been uh, put, put out to the uh, uh, to the authorities was that hey there is a suspect suspect is black um, and he's hiding over in in this apartment uh, and so as I come out you know I'm, actually I didn't come out <laughs> and, and because I'm you know, I'm hearing it on the news I'm like well I don't want them to think it's me sure uh, you know it comes to find you know come to find out they, they they get the guy they arrest him they take him in and the gentleman uh, was much different complexion than than I did. There's no way that anybody could get us confused. Sure. But that's that but that wasn't the point. The point was the uh the the, the way the description was, was said was uh black male, you know, five ten, you know, uh and, and that was kind of that was kind of it. So even though we were different complexions, you know, he was much brighter, beiger than 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 I would be. Um, longer hair, different nose, uh, everything else. If you are a person and you're in fear of your life, you know, and you're trying to find a suspect, you know, and I just I happen just to rush out of the building because I'm trying to get to work. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what you know? What what position does that put me in? I mean, we we saw this happen in in, uh, in Minnesota with Fernando uh, Castile, you know, where mm-hmm. he was pulled over uh, because they were looking for a specific suspect. Um, and they thought that he might have fit that description, and then that turned into something else where he ended up losing his life. Um, and so it's, it's those types of things that, um, you know, it, could they happen to anyone? Yes, but it's interesting how they often happen uh, to, to, to people of color. Well, and, and I'll, let me add on to that, because kind of the point that I think that you're making is it's the lack of exposure or amount of exposure that leads to whether people start to see things like nuance. You know, if I were to tell somebody, for instance, you know, I'm white, that's okay, somebody gets a picture in their head. If I say, well, you know what, I'm actually, I'm, I'm Irish and I'm a dark Irishman, people might start to realize, oh, okay, so you're going to, you know, I can say I look Mediterranean. You know, that's a very specific looking thing when I say, well, you know, I've got kind of olive skin and dark hair and I've got... That's something more specific, more you know, generic. But I think a lot of people would understand if I say I have kind of an olive skin tone. That's pretty specific. Whereas if you're not exposed to different shades of skin tone for somebody who's black, then just like you say, somebody says there's a black male on the loose that you know is a suspect in a crime. Well, then that just covers 
everything and isn't really a useful description anyway. It just puts you at risk. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and that was one of the things when I first came to Iowa, one of the things that um, I had a lot of conversations with folks about, and they were all good. And, and you, you, you know, you understand that people only have a limited experience. You know, I had uh, you know, the the fortune of, of being around a, a multicultural environment. But when I came here, for a lot of folks um, who, I, who I went to college with even, you know, in a small liberal arts college, uh, I was the first the first person of color that they had ever actually met in real life. Mm-hmm. They had maybe, you know, heard some things on the radio or, or, or seen some things on TV and movies or maybe when they go to take a trip to Chicago or something like that. But I was the first person that they actually ever interacted with. And right. So that's something that I, I consider and think about a lot is particularly in, in my broad circle. Uh, and I've been to 75 of Iowa's 99 counties. Um, so I've traveled the state a lot. And oftentimes, I'm in it's places where I'm the only one who looks like me and, and who has uh, similar experiences that I've had. Uh, and so I'm very conscious of that and, and very, and sometimes I, I, I don't brag about that or I don't wave that flag and, you know, and things like that. But it is something that you know, I can go on all day with you about different stories I've experienced. Uh, sometimes I, I, I can't really tell them because they also might have some consequences as well. Yeah, and and that's the other part is you've got to be conscious of these things at all times. Again, in a way that I just I don't have to, even if I can give a description of myself that would narrow myself down pretty quickly in a crowd. I don't have to think about that being, uh, you know, a, I don't want to say a threat to my existence or to my safety, but kind of like I, I don't have to worry about the consequences to that. If I get on a, I, I was thinking just uh, last year or two years ago, I was getting on a, a, a train in L in the south side of Chicago. And as I got in the car, it just kind of, I looked up and realized, wow, I think I'm the only white person on this car of, of the L. And what of it? Like it, that doesn't present any kind of real threat to me at all because that's sort of the that's the dominance that's essentially been established, right? That's the the, the white person stepping onto a train car doesn't have to look around in the same sense that somebody who like you, if you were the black person stepping on the only uh, car full of white people, you might have to look at how you're being looked at in a way that I don't. Yes, absolutely. And I've heard, you know, other friends say things like that too. Like, well, you know, once I was bullied by, you know, by this group or that group or things like that. And those are unfortunate situations. I think that's even where maybe the uh, the president and others were trying to get into into the situation with Charlottesville. Um, is that you know, well, you know, they're they're both sides on this issue. The 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 problem that I have with that is. You know, when you're a person who's a, a minority, a minority in number, and even though the, those numbers are growing, uh, our systems are still were still originally created, and the rules and policies and the, everything has hidden rules as well too, and and rules that we, hidden rules that we don't, may not always necessarily know of. When you're a person of color, or you're a person who's a minority. Not only do you have to understand your own cultural identity. But you also have to understand the cultural identity of those that are in power, too, or those that are in the majority in order to be successful. You know, so one of the things, the reason why I do you know, half the things that I do and, and expose myself to so many different things uh, is because I feel like I don't have an option um, in order for me to be successful in, in the society that I live in. I have to do those things, and I have to put in the extra work to 
to understand what it what it does feel like to go hunting. Uh, I didn't necessarily want to go hunting, but I wanted to I wanted to know what that experience was like. So when I have a conversation with someone, I feel like I can jump into that. I wanted to learn how, what it felt like to drive a tractor, uh, so I can you know, talk, joke around about that. I wanted to know who was on the roster of the of the uh, Chicago Cup, uh, so that I could participate in those types of conversations. Well, the, the Cubs are just awesome, Isaiah. Now, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, and, and you know how much of a Lakers fan uh, that I am, uh, and, yeah. and, and that's that's the difference. You know, it's like you know, I I would love to to be surrounded by folks that had the same passion uh, for for the Cubs as I do for the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but uh, And that, that's a product of my experiences, of, of where I grew up. Where, where I grew up, and we do have the Dodgers, and the Dodgers are, are a great team. We have the Angels, and the Angels are a great team too, but uh, basketball is king. And a lot of that, to be honest, I, I do believe has to do with just uh, how much more of an uh, important sport that is or how much more favorable that sport is uh, to folks in Los Angeles, at least, uh, or to folks of color. Uh, we enjoy that uh, a little bit more. Uh, and so sometimes it's just those little things here and there. And I, I don't, again, I don't want to to paint everyone from the same. Uh, uh, there's a lot of diversity uh, within cultures as well, too. Oh yeah. So a person who's who's African American or black in L.A. Uh, on the south side of L.A. might be different than someone on the west side of L.A. Might be different than someone uh, who is from the New York area or from from the south. Um, but there are some commonalities, uh, and, and a lot of that is uh, sometimes how we feel marginalized. Well, I'll tell you what, I've, we're running out of time, and here's what I need your help with, Isaiah. And this is what we're going to talk about when we come right back after this break. I need your help raising my kids, and I'm going to ask you about that, okay? So let me have okay. you, let's stick around, and we're going to have this uh, final segment. We're going to figure out at least a little bit, uh, at least what I can help do for the next generation. So we're going to have you stick around. This is Isaiah McGree. He's a good friend of mine and also has some very good thoughts, I think, for a lot of us to think about, especially in light of this past week. I'm Brian Gongle. We're going to come back for our final segment in just a moment. It's 352 on News Radio 1040 WHO. All right, it is 3.57 on News Radio 1040 WHO. And before I forget or before we run out of time, just two minutes to go with the program, thank you very much to my friend Isaiah McGee for coming on here with me to talk about these things like friends, because I think that's where a lot of this begins. So, Isaiah, I just want to personally say thank you for coming on the air and talking like this with me, because I, I think this is important to share with people. Um, let me ask you this question as, as we go out. Okay, you've got uh, you've got three kids. I've got two, and I'm trying to make sure that I am raising my kids. I don't want them to be, you know, self-righteous about things. I don't need them to be, you know, social justice warriors or anything like that. But I do want to make sure that I leave the next generation set up to be more conscious of how these things work, especially as as deal with skin tones and race and and ethnicity and all that, and to understand that people can be different. And yet, to look at that from a perspective that also shows respect, what do you think I need to do to concentrate on them in 30 seconds? <laughs> if <you've> yeah. Got. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, five quick things, uh, so five seconds each here. One is just exposure. Um, if you can give them an opportunity just to, to see other cultures, uh, and in that too, when they have that exposure, uh, looking for the assets rather than the deficit in those situations. Uh, so everyone brings strengths to the table, not not just weaknesses. Uh, the other thing is not be a bystander. Um, uh, so a lot of times we see these things happen, and so we think, well, it's not happening to me, or I don't understand it, so we kind of step back passively. Uh, and the other two things would be 
or really kind of start doing the, the work about how did you come to your own understanding of your own culture and, and, and others' cultures as well, too, um, being able to, to look and consider that. And then make, you know, when there's opportunities to make some adaptations and to, you know, we don't always have to be the center. And like I said, we, we, we tend to think we're the protagonists of our own stories, but we don't always have to be the protagonist. You know, sometimes it's okay to let someone else lead. Um, and so uh, those would be the five things that I would suggest. You, you couldn't have said it better, Isaiah. I appreciate that. And all, and all of it coming back, too, again, to a question of let's be responsible for ourselves and let's show some respect for ourselves, and then we can start to have a surplus of it to, to share with others. And I hope that's the direction we're headed in. Again, thank you very much to my friend Isaiah McGee. You know him uh, from a variety of different positions and things that he's done around the metro, and I uh, let's keep an eye on him. And let's uh, keep listening to what people like Isaiah have to say because I think that's important really for everybody, no matter where we're coming from. I'm Brian Gongle. Thank you very much for uh, listening this afternoon, and we'll see you next Saturday right here on News Radio 1040, WHO. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.